0: When you attend a conference like DRJ Fall, there are two ways to learn. You can go to sessions, workshops, and panel discussions, or you can listen to vendors in the exhibit hall. In this wrap of the conference, I decided to talk to the vendors. Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 101 of the Resilient Journey podcast, presented by the Resilience Think Tank. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and this week I want to take you on a journey inside the exhibit hall of DRJ Fall 2023. We're going to hear from Bob Arnold and folks from Illuminar, Risk Connect, Infinite Blue, Alert Media, Simple Life, and even the BCI. It's fun learning about different products that are available to help make your organizations and your clients more resilient. If you've never been to DRJ, whether the fall or the spring, the first time you attend, you notice uh, a bit of a different culture. It's got its own separate culture, like it's its own universe almost. Regulars are recognized up and down the hallways, in rooms, in the lobby of the hotel or resort. And at first, it can feel a little bit intimidating if you've never been before. But what I learned quickly was that regulars and newcomers alike are welcome, Uh, and it was a very interesting uh, experience. What I wanted to do this time, rather than going around and talking with speakers, was to go a little bit behind the scenes and to walk through the exhibit hall and talk with some of the vendors who were there. Now before I got to the vendors my first guest was Bob Arnold. Bob is the president and executive publisher of DRJ and he was pretty happy with how things were going. Here with Bob Arnold midway through day one or Monday of uh, DRJ Fall. You got to be excited about what you're seeing so far? We certainly are. The numbers
1: are good. The sessions so far have been great. Good. Uh, it's great to reconnect with a bunch of friends and uh, Uh, people that we don't see but every six months so it's great to see and uh, a lot of different topics this year too right yeah we try and always keep the you know the newest trends you know particularly like AI everybody wants to talk AI right now how's it affecting much more more so than even chat GPT's
0: type type scenarios so always trying to keep keep with the
1: latest trends
0: your keynote this year uh, was Heidi Hanna, and uh, really interesting talking about mastering stress. Really a, a great way to kick this off.
1: Yeah, we always try and we don't want to dive directly into business continuity or DR first thing Monday morning, so it's always nice to have a little bit of twist, especially stress management. Heidi's done an impressive job for us over the years. She spoke for us probably three, four times in the past, and always, it, it always resonates well with our audience, stress management in particular.
0: Yeah, it fits right in. Thanks, Bob, and good luck the rest of the way. Thanks, Mark. Bob mentioned they're reconnecting with friends and people we don't get to see very often, and that's kind of the culture that I was alluding to. It's a very social atmosphere uh, and a lot of hugging and a lot of uh, screaming almost as people run into uh, folks they haven't seen in a while, uh, and that's a, a very interesting um, aspect of DRJ. Now, Let's walk into the exhibit hall and I first spoke with Brandon Magestro from Risk Connect and I got him to tell me a little bit about what uh, was going on at his booth and what Risk Connect is all about. I'm here with Brandon Majestro from Risk Connect. Hey how you doing? Good how are you? Good and so uh, we're at your booth at DRJ Fall uh, and it's for Risk Connect. Uh, tell me about it. What's Risk Connect all about?
2: Yeah, so first and foremost, Risk Connect is a integrated risk management software that supports multiple different areas within the realm of risk management. So we have a software platform that helps teams that want to essentially address multiple different areas within risk within one software platform, whether that's GRC uh, and within that um, business continuity or compliance or internal audit, or if they want to help support their uh, insurable risk team, we can help support that function as well. The ultimate goal is to be able to offer the market uh, a software that helps address again multiple different pillars of risk within one overall software software platform
0: and one of those pillars is business continuity there's a business continuity module
2: absolutely yeah so um, risk connect actually acquired a company company formerly known as Castellon uh, in july of 2022 that was brought into uh, essentially our integrated risk management platform to support what we consider to be a mature business continuity software that can be bridged into that larger integrated risk management platform that already existed.
0: One of the things that I noticed uh, on the the backdrop that we have here is uh, instant access to dynamic business continuity plans. And we know that that's difficult. You wanna make sure people have the right plan, the most current plan and all of that. So tell me a little bit about how that works.
2: Yeah, so um, obviously we're a SaaS-based, software platform, right? So, um, within our, what we like to call our core business continuity platform, it's a software platform that helps support organizations build the foundation of their business continuity, disaster recovery, or crisis management program. So, within that, they have the ability in a configurable fashion to build out out and tailor business continuity or disaster recovery plans that help meet the needs of the organization. It's available real time, whether that's uh, via a web browser or the ability to access that via the mobile app.
0: Great. Thanks, Brandon. Appreciate it. Now, I should point out, this was my first time ever at DRJ Fall, uh, which is kind of weird. I spoke at DRJ a couple of years ago, but that was back when it was virtual, and I've been in the industry forever and uh, have never made it to DRJ. So my next guest, uh, or the next person I interviewed, was a little bit of a uh, of an anomaly for me. This was someone who I'd actually met in person before, as I stopped by the Illuminar booth to talk with Marcus Vaughn. Marcus, you were just on stage as part of a panel, and one of the questions that came up was, can we do operational resilience without technology? Talk about your answer. You're laughing now. Talk about your answer and what your thoughts are on that.
3: Yeah, so, uh, Mark referenced the fact that I just scoffed at that that question. Um, I mean, we've been using technology, and the point I made on stage is Microsoft Word's technology. Right. Um, but no, I mean, given the, the, the pace of change that we're going through at the moment, um, the speed the change, uh, and and I guess the vast landscape of the threats and the ecosystem we're now having to work within, trying to tackle operational resilience or any resiliency, to be perfectly honest, in this day and age, without technology, is really pushing uphill. And I, I personally, I've just watched a lot of organisations try and throw manpower at it with manual processes, uh, and it is it's a hard process. It's much more. It's slower. Um, where when you are able to use technology really to complement people, like it's here to complement people, it speeds up the process and creates a more continuous learning cycle for the organization. So we're able to get um, faster, more relevant and current data about what's happening in the organization as well as outside and then be able to you know, ride through to capability development. So using technology to roll out things like micro simulations, that helps us get that capability right across the organization, teach people how to connect, use the technology to connect, to get ahead bounce forward instead of bounce back
0: now one of the things you were too polite to say on stage is you didn't talk about Illuminar so I'll give you that chance now so talk about how Illuminar can be the tool that can help organizations like that
4: Yeah,
3: absolutely. I mean, we built Illumina originally as a critical event response platform, but where we're taking this is using, you know, a big release this week is around learning loops, so creating that continuous learning approach to understanding what is happening in the organization, what's happening outside of the organization too, and using things like micro simulations to roll out that level of capability to teach people how to respond their role and responsibility in any crisis, whether you're at the board or whether you're down at the shop floor. Uh, to do that on a more systematic basis so we can build that capability, build that connectivity, and teach people to be able to adjust to the changing context in our environment.
0: I was uh, just watching, you have a a screen here at your booth at DRJ Fall, and you had what looked like uh, a news report on with some kind of a tragic event happening. Is that the micro-simulation you're talking about? You want to explain that a little bit?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, we have taken, I guess, the traditional tabletop simulation boil it down to a 10 to 15 or 15 to 20 minute uh, micro simulation and rather and and that's not to say we um, we always advocate for tabletops there's a huge amount of learning we're big on experiential learning i think that's the key Um, where micro simulations come into play is we build out i guess scenario artifacts we understand the audience we build out a track of micro simulations that helps get into their calendars on a more regular basis so by using the technology takes that legwork out and having you know to plan six months to do it we spend you know, a couple of months planning a whole track of micro simulations that runs for a year. So you can get into a calendar on a monthly basis, bring awareness to a different threat, whether it be an emerging threat or an existing threat, um, and teach people about their role and responsibility on a more regular basis and
0: how to respond to those threats. Appreciate that, Marcus. Thanks for the time. I appreciate it, Mark. All right. Cheers. You know, I said at the top of the episode that I was going to be speaking with vendors, and that's true, I am, but uh, both Marcus and my next guest, were uh, also speakers. And actually, one of my favorite speakers uh, of the event was Frank Schultz from Infinite Blue. I'm with Frank Schultz from Infinite Blue, and you just uh, spoke at uh, one of the general sessions this morning, and then you led a panel. And before I get to my question, I just want to tell you, you have a really good communication style up there, Uh, very real. You're not afraid to say things like, I just said the word literally 18 times, and I was thinking to myself, well, it was literally 15, but I couldn't say that. So uh, thank you for that, and it's uh, it, it was great to, to listen to you. In your presentation, you said that people plus data plus communications equals resilience. Talk about that and, and what you meant by that.
5: Yeah, thank you, Mark, and I think we often overlook the aspect of how important people are to really what we're trying to do if we're trying to recover from an event and we don't have people to show up that can actually help an organization to you know whatever whatever we have to do is it reaching out to customers is it helping to rebuild systems is it uh, making sure that people are safe if if our team can't show up and we don't build resilient people they can't help the organization so I think that's the key point for the people aspect and so there's different ways we can build resilience in people um, but we have to really work with you know human resources people ops whatever we want to call it to really start in a good place and that's part of their structure for resilience when you look at the data piece we have to have good data that's available when we need it in a way that we don't have to go hunt for it so and connected data is really important i don't want to just see a list of locations i want to see a list of locations with who's there i want to see the visitor logs for kind of who's on site just for the day who badged in how can i i can actually minimize my time to understanding when we have an impact or something like an active shooter a power outage an explosion, something in a building, I can now actually really quickly get to the assessment phase and not have to worry about, you know, in the response phase, and not have to kind of be fumbling around for data. And the last piece of that is communications. And so we did a communications exercise this morning where we basically had someone explain a picture to other people. And, you know, I did that as an analogy, and and it was interesting because somebody was very using terms that people didn't understand right. around it. And I said, Yo, you must be an engineer. It's like, no, I'm not. Right. Um, but it was like, hey, you know, two-fifths of the way, make a line through the box. And someone said, I don't get that. So communication style is so important in how you are going to articulate that and who you're going to talk to. It's all tied together, and really it helps build a resilient organization. And we're going to learn as we go through that over and over again.
0: What's interesting about that, and I'm going to jump on the data because As we gather data through whatever tools it is, BIAs or risk assessments, whatever, there is so much data. And if it's just strewn everywhere, you run the, the risk that it never gets used. And so you've done all of that work and you're not really getting the full benefit of it. So talk about that in connection to Infinite Blue. I mean, that's really where you're bringing value to things, right?
5: Absolutely. So I talked about a process called Know Your Business earlier today. Know Your Business for us is an evolution of a BIA that pulls a lot of the practices you would typically do in a three-step cycle. So you would do a BIA risk assessment and then do a plan. We pull all that into one cycle because people's time is precious. So we don't necessarily want to have to go back to teams three times and then to exercise and then you know if they have to respond and go through an extra event, we want to actually consolidate a lot of that. And we want them to think in terms of um, kind of very kind of generic but specific to a core component type of recovery so I want to know what would you need to do to recover this process I don't want to know how you do this process because someone else someone has to show up with certain expertise to be able to do it we spent a lot of time documenting here's how you do this process and then no one else can just pick it up and do it It doesn't make a whole lot of sense but if I can help you identify here's how we recover it here's how it ties to the rest of the organization that's where you get a lot of leverage kind of using that data and connecting it through so know your business for us is shortcutting a lot of that with data that already exists inside an organization because it's data that's already being used real estate data hr data it service management data third-party risk vendor data Um, bringing that in that's already used so i'm not asking you for it because we already have it i'm letting you pick from existing data that's connected and live and then i'm just supplementing it with questions that we need to know so the bia becomes a lot easier because we're only asking questions that we can't get from source systems already
0: now that's awesome frank thanks for the time awesome thank you mark As I made my way through the exhibit hall, I noticed that there were a number of mass notification system organizations there. So uh, Regroup was there and I had a chance to go by and talk with them and they've been on the podcast before. I'm a huge fan of Regroup when it comes to mass notification. Uh, I noticed that Everbridge was there and then I also stopped by the Alert Media booth. I'm with Zach Smith from Alert Media really becoming much more of a household name. I think within the last several years you guys have really escalated and become very, very prominent in the industry. Um, How's the conference been for you? Conference is going great. Um,
6: DRJ always does an amazing job putting on a good show. Gotta love the city of Phoenix, especially when there's a good reason to be inside.
0: People don't give mass notification enough credit. A lot of times uh, they think it's only for communicating during a crisis, but really from an alert media perspective, you can do a lot more than that.
6: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, ultimately, we want to be able to empower our clients to do what they need to be able to do. Um, But operational use cases are abundant, and quite
0: frequently, they're a really good place to find a business case as well. One of the advantages, best practices, let's call it, for uh, using a tool like yours is integration with other data sets, whether it's contact information from an HRIS or or things like that. Talk about that and the importance of being able to do that to keep current information uh, at hand. Yeah,
6: I mean, that's a really insightful thing to bring up,
0: candidly, because I think it, it so
6: frequently becomes part of like implementation as opposed to an evaluation. Um, whereas being able to manage your data is essential, especially on an automated basis, right? You don't want to have to manually update tools. You definitely don't want to have to pull a list every single time you want to send a message. This thing needs to be ready, ATM-ready resi- all the time. Just you walk up and press a few buttons. So, yeah, I think it's, it's something that's overlooked. And candidly, multi-source data syncs are going to be more important moving forward as teams have Azure Active Directory dictating whether or not someone's employed, you're gonna need to enrich that data from other sources and you need to be able to automate all of that. So yeah, I I appreciate you bringing that up.
0: Last thing before I go, talk a little bit about travel risk management and what are some of the things you're looking at there?
6: I would love to, yeah. um, Business travel's back. We're back to like 86% right now of of pre-pandemic business travel. That's expected to continue to go up. And as there's more and more travel, this idea of being able to track your people wherever they are and know whether or not something bad is happening near them and then notify them and actually impact outcomes is the reason it okay. exists. Now, the most important thing is that it relates to it, however, is the number of disparate tools that usually go into a travel risk management program you'll book your travel through Concur and then maybe you'll do your check-ins through ISOS and then you're getting your threat intelligence from some other system. The beauty of having it in one pane of glass is that you don't have to jump between places to be able to execute that incredibly important function.
0: And so a real good use case would be uh, I'm traveling to a city, there is a uh, a, an incident in that city, Uh, your system knows I'm in that city. Now is it automated where the system will automatically send me a message or is it then a manual process to get that message sent out so that depends on our client you can automate that process if you want to
6: pass it through a layer prior to getting it to your traveler that's certainly an option as well i'd say that's really up to the organization Um, other important considerations too i think are changes to itinerary, right? Just little tiny things like that. Somebody switches a hotel, something of that nature. You need a solution that's going to automatically pick that up. You can't be relying on employees. They have enough to focus on outside of updating their itinerary in a third disparate system. So I think there's a lot to be said for just simply automating the process of updating itinerary. Um, Also following kind of the same prepare, you know, kind of awareness, execution, resolution, kind of a similar thing with travel. You might want to prepare your folks with a travel brief if they're going to an unsafe country. You might want to have really as opposed to the information we get from the government, which is sometimes very focused on customs and things of that nature, you want things that are safety-focused when you're sending a traveler into a, into a potentially unsafe place. So kind of similar. You prepare them with a brief, you ingest that itinerary so you know exactly where they're going to be, and then you notify them if anything's happening near them.
0: Very cool. Zach, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. All right. I don't often talk about what I do outside of the Resilient Journey podcast or my work with the Resilience Think Tank, but I'm an independent consultant, and I've been doing business continuity and crisis management for over 20 years. And while I was walking through the exhibit hall, I came across a product that is going to be so helpful to at least one of my clients. And I stopped in to speak with Andrew Lawton from Rescube. Thanks for doing this. Tell us a little bit about what Rescube is all about.
4: Oh, thanks, Mark. Well, Rescue is very simple. It's power and internet in a box. So it's It's designed really to de-risk remote work. So if you have critical workers at home, people like crisis managers or traders or senior execs uh, doing work at home that needs to be continued and and not interrupted, then that's where Rescue comes in. The idea basically being that it sits under the desk and provides you with resilient power and resilient internet.
0: Now, without recharging, how much backup power would you have from a unit, typically?
4: Um, It will run a laptop and also provide the internet for about 25 hours, 24 hours. So it's a reasonable uh, length of time. Although it's in effect a UPS, uh, you know, obviously traditional UPS's last about 20 minutes. This one lasts about 20 hours. So a big difference.
0: And more and more as we get into this environment where people are doing critical jobs from home and their maximum tolerable downtime is less than 24 hours, this solves a very major problem for a lot of organizations right
4: absolutely and um, we we've worked very hard to ensure that the cost point is is low enough so that uh, there's a very clear return on investment so um, uh, it, it's only fifteen hundred dollars for, for a unit or even fact60 dollars a month uh, as well if you you know on if you wanted to have rescue as a service so um, it's it's very clear you know that there is a return on investment for this for many people within an organization, not for everybody, but for those that need uh, that uh, continuous um, power and comms.
0: I like that. Let's talk about the internet capability for a minute. What kind of uh, bandwidth are we talking?
4: Um, It's up to 150 meg uh, of bandwidth, but it really depends on what what sort of signal you've got from your 4G cell tower that's uh, uh, located near you. You can, of course, use things like Starlink, uh, and we'll, we'll combine with Starlink as well. Uh, but as I say, up to 150 meg uh, of 4G connectivity.
0: And then, final thing, you were telling me that in addition to the 24-25 hours of battery, you can also recharge that through solar capability.
4: That's right. Uh, we've, uh, again, tried hard to ensure that uh, we can extend that, that power um, using solar power. Now, not everybody's got the the, the infrastructure of uh, inverters and various other converters to take the power from a solar panel. So you can literally take a cable from a solar panel, plug it in the back of Rescube, and it will recharge. Excellent. Andrew,
0: thanks for this. Appreciate
7: it.
4: Brilliant. Cheers, Mark.
0: Not all of the vendors were focused on corporate resilience. I spoke with Boaz Munerlin, and he was telling me about water that can last up to 100 years. Check this out. I'm here now with Boaz Munderland and your company is Simpler Life. What's that all about?
8: Simpler Life Emergency Provisions is a 42-year-old company in Southern California, but we provide resources all across North America and even all over the world now to hospitals, school districts, cities and county governments, utility companies, and many non-profit disaster relief organizations, primarily providing kits, individual custom kits, evacuation kits, lockdown kits, a lot of medical backpacks and kits uh, that are customized that have enough food and water, medical trauma kits. uh, Stop the Bleed kits are very popular right now and are gonna grow in popularity. And if I could just share this one thing with you, we're super excited, Mark, about our latest product that we're launching at this meeting, the Disaster Recovery Journal. It's our emergency water with a 100 year shelf life.
0: All right, so um, we were talking a little bit about this water. And I ask you about, well, you know, everybody's got water, water in a, in a plastic bottle, but that's not sustainable.
8: It's not sustainable. First of all, single-use plastics are bad for the environment. Most of the trend in consuming water is moving toward aluminum cans anyway, just in regular drinking water. Lots of companies out there, if you go to the liquor store, there's more canned uh, water than there is plastic water bottle now, as that's shifting. In the emergency water uh, space, We're learning that plastics just don't last, they don't keep, plastic is very porous and your water gets contaminated with bacteria over time, even after just a year or two. So our water is specially treated to remove the mineral content and the bacteria content and canned in such a way that we're allowed now to make the claim with a warranty to guarantee 100 year shelf life. which, it's great for our customers who buy these by the hundreds of pallets stored in their warehouses. Right. Because when something bad happens, you know, think of the, the, the folks in Maui recently, just a couple of weeks ago. Sure. Their island caught on fire. You can wait for various supplies to come to you eventually within two or three days. Mm-hmm. You cannot wait for water. They ran out of water. And you need water within hours, not days. You need it immediately. So yes. it's important to store water in a, in a, in a place that's safe. and and consumable, not just drinking water, but you need water for cleaning, for cooking, for you know, variety of uses that you need for water, but this is wonderful water to consume and easily stored, giving you peace of mind, which is the vision of our company, to give peace of mind to our customers that they have what they need if something bad happens.
0: One of the things you and I were talking about a minute ago is you said there's a lot of organizations here that are talking about business continuity software, keeping organizations running, keeping systems up. Your focus is on the people. And tell me what you said about that. Kind of repeat what you said about that. Yeah,
8: Sure, you bet. Uh, Lots of these, uh, in this industry, it's very important to keep your data protected and and your systems, your software aligned so that the wheels can stay on the bus, so to speak, when a disaster happens. But you need people to manage those systems. And if, if human needs aren't being met, if there's not a go bag in every truck that goes to deliver help somewhere, uh, if there's not water that can sustain human life immediately, then you're in real trouble. Then you don't have the people, uh, they're, they're the people that are not engaged, they're distracted, they're, they're home with their families, taking care of their neighborhood. They're not really engaged in restoring the power lines or uh, handling the systems at the big bank uh, areas that, to, to, to keep all the systems sustained. And so you need people to be healthy, strong, aware, and engaged in providing the solution that the organization is, is meant to do. All
0: right. Boaz, thank you for that. I appreciate it.
8: Awesome. Thank you, Mark.
0: Finally, I was able to catch up with David Thorpe. David is the executive director of the BCI. He talked about the importance of the relationship, uh, that the BCI has with DRJ. And then we turned the page and started to look ahead a little bit about the upcoming conference BCI world, which is just a few weeks away. Uh, and David, um, thanks for doing this first of all and I know that uh, coming to DRJ is an important thing for you what do you hope to accomplish by coming to a conference like this?
7: Well from our point of view it's important to show solidarity with our US chapter and the members of that chapter. Uh, We've just got membership again back over the thousand mark in the US chapter and it's one of our strategic development markets for the the next three years Uh, so we're putting in a lot of effort. We're here at uh, Disaster Recovery Journal fall world. will be uh, in Orlando for DRJ Spring. Right. And we're also intending to go to the Continuity Insights conference as well, as well as looking at a, a number of other opportunities conference-wise so that we can get our message out there.
0: And we're just six or seven weeks time from your big conference too, BCI World. We'll see each other again there yeah. as I'm presenting. Uh, tell us a little bit about what we can
7: expect at BCI World. Indeed. Um, we're going back this year, in fact, to a two-day format with an online presence as well. Uh, the last time we actually had a two-day conference was back in uh, way back in 2019. Uh, so it'll be nice to actually be able to cover the breadth of the subjects again that we think has been missing. We've got some great keynotes. One that I'm particularly looking forward to uh, is a, a look at the resilience that, that, that was shown by the moon landings. Uh, I know it's an old story now, but some of the learnings from that and the way that NASA uh, was probably the very epitome of disaster recovery business continuity and resilience all in one should be a fascinating uh, subject.
0: I'm really looking forward to that. I get really geeked out at anything related to space and things like that and I actually got goosebumps when you told uh, you know what the keynote was about yeah. so really looking forward to that. My presentation is going to be on the future of resilience so uh, you know stay tuned for that as well. David thanks for doing this.
7: My pleasure. Thanks for asking me.
0: And so that's a wrap for DRJ Fall 2023. I just want to tip my cap here to Bob Arnold and his team. They're not a big team. You did a fantastic job, very well organized, a lot of moving parts. um, And the JW Marriott Resort there in Phoenix, uh, the food was amazing. The space was great. And so just a a huge congratulations uh, to all of you. Thanks to everyone who stopped by to say a few words and uh, participate in this uh, 101st episode of the Resilient Journey podcast. Next week, I got some friends coming in as we're going to talk a little bit uh, more about uh, the Resilience Think Tank and some things that you can look forward to there. So join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey.